Oh, all right. What's up, everybody online? We love you guys. I didn't just not turn on my mic and almost not welcome you. Uh, we are glad you're here outside. Hope you are enjoying the amazing weather. If you're watching from around the country in places like Chicago, Illinois, Washington, Idaho, uh, Kentucky, we would just ask that you stop and pray for us. It's 80 degrees and sunny here, and it's going to be like that all week. And so we're going to get through it. Um, just if you guys need to reach out for emotional support as we get through these dark times, don't worry. That's what we're here for. We are your church family. So the series is Investigating Jesus. And I want to ask you a question before we get going. It's a very annoying question because it's a convicting question. And I've been wrestling with it all week since I've come across it. And I want to ask it to you because if it's going to mess with me, then you're in this with me. And it's going to mess with you too. Here's the question. If your life was a commercial, what are you advertising? If your life was a commercial, what, what are you advertising? And, and what I mean by that is, is, you know, yeah, there's you and your work and the things you do and your job and the places you go. But I mean, if people who know you or were watching you for a week were just kind of making a summary statement about what they see when they look at you, about what they see you're pointing to, what they see you reaching out, like what do they see is important to you? Like if your life was a commercial, what are you advertising? We could ask that collectively. We could say if we are a commercial, what are we advertising? Or, or if the church, the people of God, were a commercial, what are we advertising with our lives? We'll come back to that in a minute. The series is called Investigating Jesus, and we're going to be journeying for five weeks in our Bibles in the book of Luke. So if you got to the New Testament, you'd get to Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. That's where we'll be. You could meet me in chapter 3 if you want to come there in a little bit. But I'll tell you something interesting about this. We're going to call it Investigating Jesus because that's just what Luke did. If you get to the story of like, how do we have this writing that we call Luke in our Bibles, it began with an investigation. As a matter of fact, uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, it begins like this. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those for whom were first eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that's Luke's friend, so that you may know with certainty the things that you have been taught. Time out. Notice that Luke does not begin with once upon a time. Notice that Luke does not begin with long ago in a galaxy far, far away. Luke was first writing to people that were actually around at the time of Jesus. Jesus had made such a splash in the world with his death and resurrection, the entire known world at that time began to hear things about Jesus. Gosh, Luke's gospel is so cool because Luke actually wasn't even a Jesus follower. He wasn't a Christian. He wasn't even Jewish. He lived in Rome. And I got a map so you could actually see what we're doing here. So, <laughs> turns out you can Google Maps 
what it would take to walk from Rome to Israel. And if you watch, don't worry, online people will have bit put up this map for you so you can see it. But gosh, you have no, this is not the day to be walking around on the stages after it collapsed last week. But here we are. So, so Luke lived in Rome. Luke lived, this is a 563-hour walk away when, when Jesus died and rose from the dead. And, and if you think about the impact that happened at the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the whole Roman Empire had began to hear. And so word gets back that there is this growing number of people in the world who are saying Jesus is king, not Caesar. And I need you to think on that for a minute. Do you know, like, that very statement could cost you your life at this day and age. And yet, so many people are coming to believe this. 563 hours away, there is a doctor, and his name is Luke. And he goes, you've got to be kidding. I've heard so much about this Jesus, and my friends have heard about this Jesus, and there's a church down the street now, and there were no churches before this, and this little gathering of people are talking about Jesus. I want to know what's going on. So some, some 15 to 30 years after Jesus' resurrection, Luke sells his medical practice, gets rid of it completely, and finances his own travel to Jerusalem and to Israel where all the events around the life of Jesus unfolded. And he researches. And he talks to people. And he visits eyewitnesses. He would visit James, Jesus' brother. He would visit Mary, Jesus' mother. He would interview people. He's a doctor. What do you think he did when he went to men who said that they once had leprosy and I saw this man named Jesus and he said, be healed, and then I was healed. What do you think he did to, when he encountered men who would say that they were once blind or, or people like like Lazarus, the friend of Jesus, who said he was once dead and now alive. He corroborates these things. He puts all the stories together. He does his research and comes to find out that Jesus is undoubtedly the Son of God. He never goes back to Rome. And he joins Paul and Peter and John Mark as they travel the Roman Empire, spreading the name and fame of Jesus. And I tell you all that as we get into this series because you guys, I am well aware there is more to doubt about the faith than ever before. Not there's more in the faith that is doubtable, but we're surrounded by more YouTube videos. We have more social media. We, I get you had a college professor and they said this was a bunch of myths that were fabricated by a group of people. And, and how do we know that at some point the Vatican didn't take the scriptures and rewrite everything so they could control a population? I understand that that is out there now. But when you dive in, and you really get past pop culture and do the historical work, you come to find out that this book, this investigation that this doctor did of the life of Jesus is more historical and reliable than any other manuscript from that day and age. And you guys, that matters. And here's why. Luke stopped what he was doing. He stopped all the noise. 
He stopped all the speculation. And he said, I want to find out who Jesus was and what he might actually want from me. And everything in his life changed forever. What if the same thing could happen to you? What if the same thing could happen today? We're going to journey with Luke, and we're going to see what happens. We're actually going to skip past the first couple of chapters because that's Luke filling us in on the Christmas story and, and, and Elizabeth and some of the other stuff that happens. Trust me, we'll pick that back up around Christmas time. We're going to go to chapter 3 where you actually get the warm-up act. Do you know that there was a warm-up act before Jesus? God sent a messenger, a prophet, a man before Jesus to prepare the way for Jesus. He had an announcement. Hey, everyone, get ready. Something is coming. Do you, do you guys know who that was? It was John. Say it with me. John the Baptist. Yeah, you guys have heard this. Literally in Scripture, John the Baptizer. And, and that's a creative name because his name was John and he baptized people. So they're like, I got it. We'll call him John the Baptizer. That's the warm-up act before Jesus. If you were in Luke chapter 3, you would get his story, which is exactly what we're going to dive into today. Luke chapter 3, verse 1. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod the Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip the Tetrarch of Ituria and Trachonitis and Lysanias and the Tetrarch of Abilene. And, and do, you know what, do you know what Luke is doing right here? He's saying, fact check me. He's saying, investigate this. He's saying, try me on this. He's naming the names of people who are still alive as he's writing this document. So he's saying, hey, you don't believe me? Just go ask these guys. And at this specific place, at this specific time, which is not what you do if you're fabricating a story. If you're making up a myth and you don't want people to uncover it or discover it, you don't name specific times, places, and people that could be proven or myth-busted if somebody were to verify it. He goes, check this out at this place, at this time, while all these people were having, all this stuff happened. And then in verse 2 he says, at that time, at that place, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. By the way, John, son of Zechariah, again, I, I'm going to get moving in a minute because this is too good to pass up. This is dripping with authenticity. This is dripping because, uh, you know, in that day, because of this thing called the Maccabean Revolution, there were all kinds of people named John and Mary and Judas. Have you ever wondered why in your Bible, why are there so many Johns? Why, are, why is every other person, which Mary is it? Which Judas is it? It's because those were common names in that day. And can I tell you something? When you make up a fable, you give all the characters different names so that you can tell them apart. And you've never read a book, a fictional book, where somebody, they just have three names and there's 15 characters and they just have all the same three names. You don't do that because this happened. And he goes, the word of God came to John and, and on the country and in verse 3 he goes on and it says, he, that's John the Baptist, went into all the country around the Jordan preaching the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And this is a big deal. And this is shots fired at the religious establishment. This is John traveling up and down the place. This would be like somebody coming outside the Vatican 
and saying, hey, what's going on there is not right. John is up and down the Jordan and he's got this message that he's preaching and he's saying, repent and be baptized because God is on the move. Repent and be baptized because God is on the move. And let me tell you why this created such a big stir. The religious establishment, the, 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 people, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Jewish leaders at the temple, they had developed a whole system for how you get your sins forgiven. And John says to these people, hey, 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 the temple is corrupt, it's broken, and it's busted. And what's going on there is atrocious. It's a travesty, and it breaks God's heart. So God is on the move. Open up your eyes. Update your firmware. God's here doing something new. And you really want for your sins forgiven? Well, align yourself with this new movement of God because He's coming. And these games, they're going to be over one day. Checking boxes, it's going to be done one day. Because God is doing something new. And so, of course, he creates this big stir. As a matter of fact, it says, uh, you, know, th- you know, everyone from this area came down to see Jesus. And, and if you ever grew up with a church flannel graph, you know, like those little sticky things that they, they did a Bible study where they do the lesson. Do we have flannel graph pictures? I, I don't know if we have flannel graph pictures. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Where, like, you would have that big poster and they would, st- oh, hey, we got flannel graph. You, anybody remember this is how you were told that John the Baptist and Jesus and they were down by a river and it was really sweet and you have the olive tree in the background. Here's the thing they missed. It wasn't a little group of people by a pond. Even if it was 10% of Judea, this is hundreds of thousands of people. And these hundreds of thousands of people all come down and they hear John saying, hey, that temple is corrupt and what's going on there is not what should be going on. And I'm telling you, someone's coming and he's going to put the world to rights and, and he's going to do everything that your empty religion could never do. And so there's these groups like Pharisees and Sadducees and the Sanhedrin and, and they'd wear certain robes and garbs and they were the holy men. And, and, and so they go down to where John is at the river. And, and this is what we're reading today. This is like throwdown at the river, okay? This is, this is biblical WWE, but it actually is real and it happened. And so John sees this group. It would have been easy to see. They would have had an entourage and they would have been in formation and the men with their white robes and hats trying to distinguish themselves for everybody. And John, he's excited to see them. He can't wait to see these guys because he sees them coming down. And he goes, hey, you brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? And do not miss how earthy the Bible gets at some points in times. I think the Bible uses language that would make us a little uneasy or cringy if we were back then because this is like John saying to the Pope and his friends, you sons of guns. Who warned you? God is on the move. Who told you to flee from coming wrath? In other words, don't come down here thinking 
God is another box you can check so you can go on living however you want to live, exploiting people and making a mockery of the heart of God. Don't come down here so you can check in on Facebook or mark your location on Instagram, shoot a few pictures with John the Baptist and feel like you have done your religious duty for the day. Don't come down here so you can go back to the temple and say, hey, we saw that, been there, done that. We checked that box just in case there really is something there, but come on, guys let's look back over here and let's get back to this church game. So don't play games because the day for games is over. Verse 8, next verse, he gives them this command. Here's what you need to do. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And he looks at this group and I think he would look at you and he would look at me and we would simply be telling them, God, God isn't falling for it. He doesn't care how many times you attended. He doesn't care how high your hands were raised. He doesn't care where you checked in. He cares about your life. And if your lips are saying one thing, but your life is advertising another. You've got a serious problem on your hands. Fruit there is faith in action. It's things like living a life of love, a life marked by joy and peace and kindness to other people, a life with self-control, a life that is truly led by God. And he goes on. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And don't begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, the, out of these stones, God could raise up children of Abraham. And you're like, what the heck are we doing here? We were just talking about obeying God, and I had that, and now we're talking about stones and Abraham. Let me explain what they're, what they're saying. Abraham was the father of the Jewish nation. In their history, God shows up to a man named Abraham, and from Abraham comes the entire nation of Israel, the Jewish people, still a nation today, trace their heritage back to a man named Abraham. The problem was what these leaders and these people were doing were, were they would say, hey, we've got the right bloodline. We, we've got his name in our 23 and me, and that covers a multitude of sins. Like, listen, you need to respect us. You need to listen to us. We came from Abraham. That is, he is the father of this nation. We are his sons. Therefore, we are okay. And all the while, they had all kinds of little schemes and ripoffs and hustles that they would do at the temple to take advantage of the people who were actually trying to find their way to God. And all of a sudden, this becomes so relevant. Because he says, God, God could get children of Abraham out of these rocks. It's God. It, hey, hey, it's God. Do you think when you say, I promise, and you have your fingers crossed behind your back, God doesn't see it? Do you think when your life has been slipping... So you go over here and you're like, maybe, I'll, maybe I will put a check in that box. Do you think that God is fooled by a life that wants nothing to do with him and a check that goes in a box? He says, it's God. Pay attention to what you're doing. 
I think he could sum it up like this. God cares about your heart, not your label. God doesn't, God doesn't, I think we're going to be shocked when we get to heaven about how many things we thought God cared about that he actually doesn't and how many things that his heart was breaking over that we completely ignored. And so I was thinking about this passage and I was thinking like, if John was here instead of me and he had to preach this same message to us today, I think this is what he'd be saying. From the beginning of time, God has wanted the hearts of mankind. He's wanted women. He's wanted men who would faithfully love him in relationship and respond in authentic obedience. And he's not going to be put off or confused or or, or swindled by any games. I think he'd say, I think he'd be saying, hey guys, it is awesome that you call yourself a Christian. It, it, it's amazing that you prayed that prayer and you got baptized. But don't get it twisted. That was the starting line, not the finish line. When you said yes to Jesus, you were saying yes to walking with him in a relationship that would transform you and bear fruit in your lives. Do you see the sign? It says, no, we want people to meet Jesus. That's saying yes to him. That's baptism. That's like, I was lost and now I'm found. But it doesn't stop there. We are called to know him in relationship. Have you ever heard the phrase, have you ever heard walk by faith? Anybody ever heard the phrase, you got to walk by faith? You know, do you know what they're talking about? They're talking about this. They're talking about, yeah, I said yes. Yes, I want to get baptized. Yes, I want to be faithful. But after that, I now walk with God. I let him shape me. I'm listening for his voice. When he says yes, I say yes. When he says no, I say no. And I'm being formed by him. I think God wants that, not any other label that we would put on ourselves. Time out, side note for you. I find this 2,000-year-old manuscript to be so relevant in the year 2022 because as a pastor, I get this all the time. You get on a flight and you're hanging out. with. I talk to, I'm sorry, I probably drive some of you crazy, but if you're sitting next to me on the airplane, we're talking. Like, I got, I got, I get, like a day of six hours of travel, I just get lonely by like hour four and I'm like, how are you? Like, I'll buy you, I'll buy you a snack. Just talk to me for a minute. So we'll get talking. And some of you are like, I'm switching churches right now. That's what I needed to hear. That's confirmation from the Lord. That's fine. Uh, but I'm talking. And, and so, you know, hey, what do you do? And I do this. Oh, I'm a contractor and I do this. And blah, blah, blah. And I do that. And where'd you come from? I came here. What do you do? And I'm like, oh, gosh, here we go. And so now I just go, hey, I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor at this church in California. It's incredible. You would love it. And, and, and I get this all the time now. Hey, that's cool. I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Anybody get that? Like, that, that, is, that is like all the time. So the, the other version, my jujitsu buddies, like, hey, uh, I'm into God. Dude, I'm for you on the God stuff. I listen to the little thing on Instagram. I'm for you on the God stuff. But it's like all that religion that comes after God. Like, 
I, I'm out on that because that seems like man and his ways and his things. And hey, I'm religious, I'm not spiritual, I'm into God, not religion. And, and I'm like, oh my gosh, do you know who else is spiritual and not religious? Do you know who else is into the heart of God and not the religious games of man? John the Baptist. You know who I, oh my gosh, if you're, if you're not religious but you're spiritual, have I got someone for you? His name is Jesus Christ. He hated religion so much, he ended one and they killed him. That is not religious and as spiritual as you get. Call me back when you are murdered because you've stopped a religion in its tracks with your life, death, and resurrection. That is pro-spiritual and anti-religion to its foundation. And I love that about our God. I love that about our faith. I love that about the heart of Jesus. And I tell you that, to tell you this, you know what I, you know what I really think, like, bottom line, what John was doing here? I think he was reminding them and reminding us that our lives are advertising something. That our faith, the walk we have with God should be expressed in the way we treat people, in the way you treat a service staff at restaurants, in the way you drive at the Costco parking lot, in the way that you value people, the way you treat employees who work under you, the way you are among your co-workers, what they say about you is a commercial and it is either telling the truth the glory and the goodness of God or it is putting up the picture of a charade. And nobody's even buying the charade anymore. In the 1970s, it was shameful to mow your lawn on a Sunday and, and you couldn't be outside because everybody would be like, why wasn't she in church? Or why wasn't he in church? And in the days of like, doing it because you have to and putting up a front and, and, and I'm doing this but everybody sees you're really doing that like the games are even the games have been done with God since the beginning but the games aren't even working in culture anymore and what creation is waiting for is authenticity men and women who would follow God with all their hearts walking in faith saying, I don't know, I don't have it all figured out, I'm not even sure how this is going to end, but I found God, and I'm doing my level best to follow Him. And so you're going to see that in the way that I treat you. You're going to see that in my work life. You're going to see that when you come to my house. You're going to see that when I'm in line at the grocery store, because He's been good to me. And I'm going to do, by faith, my level best, to pass on his love for me to you. We're advertising something. Now, I don't know who it was. Not a clue. I don't know if it was an older Pharisee who 
you know, was in his later years and he knew that the last 30 years of his career were devoted to fraud and deception and he couldn't take it anymore. I don't know if there was a young man there with that bunch that day who hadn't been indoctrinated by the religious types yet. I don't know who was, but somebody asked a question that changed everything that day. And in verse 10, somebody raises their hand. And they go, well, what should we do then? This is so good. Verse 11, John responds, John answered, anyone has two shirts should share one with one who has none. And anyone has food should do the same. To that they all said, huh? Wait, what do you mean? Like, kingdom's coming, get ready, repent, and baptize, and the games are done, and God needs people, and he wants authenticity, and, 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 and what are we supposed to do? He goes, yeah, 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 yeah. If you have a shirt and somebody doesn't, they need one. So share with them. If, if you have food and there's people in your town starving, have them over for dinner. They're going, whoa, 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 that's, that's not religion. That's like something we could do any day, anywhere, anyhow. Like, we can just do that. And John would say, exactly. It's time to let God out of the box. God is getting ready to move in history, okay? Pay attention. He's coming down. He's stepping out of the comfort of heaven into life on earth, then to a cross. And what he's going to call his followers to do is to step into the lives of broken people in love. You want religion? Feed that hungry person. You want God? Live towards others like God is living towards you. Period. So then there's these tax collectors and there's it's so crazy in the Bible. The tax collectors were such, such bad people. It always says tax collectors and sinners. Like, they're sinners, and then there are these people who are worse than sinners, and they were tax collectors. I don't know if that has something to do, I don't know how they got that, but they're like, there's tax collectors and sinners, and they were always lumped together, and I don't know who was more offended by what, you know, like, don't, don't assume, I'm a sinner, I'm not a tax collector, though, you know, I don't know how that worked. And they go, hey, um, John, what, what do we do? And he goes, don't collect any more money than you're required to. If you know the tax hustle they were running right, they had the power of Rome to extract taxes from people. And Rome would say, hey, we want 5% from everybody, but hey, whatever you get on the side is for you. And they would raise their own salaries, and all of a sudden Rome wants 5%, but these people are taking 10%. And he goes, stop. Just stop. Be a good human being. God is a God of charity, generosity, kindness. His very nature is love. And don't say you're a God person when you're acting unloving. Stop it. Uh, this isn't mine. This is so good. But it came from a pastor who's a hero to me. He said, if you had to sum this up, it'd be like, do what's just. Not what you could justify. Do what's right in God's eyes. Not what you can get away with. Do what's just and fair and right and good, not what you can get away with. Could you imagine for one month 
One, one week. Could you imagine for one week you put this sign up and it said this, do what's just, not what you can justify. And you had two signs and you put, and you put one on Wall Street and you put one uh, in Congress and for that week everybody just had to obey just that. Do you know the, the world would trend for the better in one week? And that's what John is calling us to. He's calling us to a faith that's not about God games, not about checking boxes, but a real faith that invades life here and now, the kingdom of the goodness of God reigning over the hearts of mankind and causing us to live just. Now what we can justify. There was this last group, last group, last group, and they were these uh, police, soldier, hybrid folks, and they weren't even Roman. They weren't from, like, Rome and Italy. They were from the surrounding areas that Rome had conquered, and then said, hey, you want to die, or you want to be uh, are in service to us? And so they're kind of like, kind of like MPs, for those of you who are military background, and, and the, the MPs would kind of run things, but, but they would also uh, take theirs on the side, and they would exploit people, and uh, they were, honestly, like, I'm not even trying to make a cultural point. They were super racist and they abused the Jewish people. And so there's racial tension there and, and all this stuff. And they're in the audience and, and they ask John what they're supposed to do. And they go, hey, John, what about, what about us? And he goes, hey, verse 14, don't extort money and don't accuse people fa falsely. Be content with your pay. And, he, and he's simply saying, like, quit being crooked. You gentlemen know the right thing, so do it. Don't, the, the accusing, they would accuse, they would bring up a charge, and go, hey, kind of looks like we've seen you doing this on the side, and, and it would be all made up, but hey, you know what? If you pay me this, uh, this quick $500 legal fee, we can take care of that for you. You don't even have to go to court. And they would play this game over and over and over. And they go, stop it. I can only imagine, this, okay, guys, this is, this is not in scripture, this is purely conjecture on my part. But I feel like at this point, John the Baptist just opens up his Bible to Micah 6.8. And he's just doing Bible study. If you don't, guys, if you don't know Micah 6.8, let me tell you something. This is your verse. Like, this is the heart of God in, like, one sentence form, okay? It, it simply says in Micah 6.8, he's shown you what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Isn't that amazing? And I think, I, I just picture John, he's like, okay, uh, uh, guess what, guess what? Be just, think of kindness and mercy, and be humble. Okay, hey, you, 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 okay, I got one for you. This is crazy. Just live a life that is just and fair. Love mercy. Think of how good God's been to you and pass that to other people and be humble while you're at it. Oh, you guys, you guys over there, guess what? This is going to blow your mind. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. That's it. And the world will see his goodness. So that question, if my life is a commercial which, by the way, it is. What am I advertising? I can't answer that for you. But I know what you were made to advertise. I know when you were born, God had a plan for you. 
He knew your name. He knew your life. Everything down to the last detail. And his plan is that you would be a living picture of his goodness. So what do we do with this? Band, you guys can come on up. We'll do one song. What do you do with this, okay? I've got one simple takeaway. I made this little card for you. It should be underneath your seat. We had to set up some more. If you don't have one, um, I'll get you one. Don't worry. But here's the takeaway. I want you to simply start asking, what would my faith in Jesus have me do? That's it. What would my faith in Jesus have me do? Like if I believe Jesus died for me, he rose again, and somehow he's my savior, and I'm supposed to do what he wants, okay, I'm going to pause, and I'm going to simply ask, what would my faith in Jesus have me do? So I want you to put this somewhere this week, and, and I want this to bother you. I want, I want you're, you're driving in the Costco, or even worse, you had to go to Trader Joe's, the one with the sprouts, where there's three parking spaces and 600 people, and you're driving through there, and I want you to drive through there. I, some of y'all need this in your car, right? Like, how would Jesus have me driving through here right now? When you're at work, and somebody just gets real passive-aggressive with you, and they're all crummy, and their attitude stinks, and everybody just wishes they would quit, you're not going to respond like everybody else. You're going to go, what would my faith in Jesus have me do? In the broken situation where you have been wronged, and you have every right to strike back with the low blow because they low blowed first. You're not going to strike back. You're going to stop and you're going to ask the question, what would my faith in Jesus have me do? Because that's faith, my friends. And that is what we're called to as a living picture of the goodness of God. We're going to sing one more song. Would you stand? I'm going to pray. And we'll do one more song and then wrap up right there.